This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Work Talk. This is a podcast series by The Straits Times to help you work smarter, think deeper, and get ahead in your work life. I'm Chris Boo. In today's podcast, we're talking about men and women. I'm sorry to disappoint those who think you'll be naughty. We're just talking about gender equality. Last month, the Singapore government endorsed a white paper promoting women's development. Essentially, it is a 10-year roadmap to provide all Singapore women better access to opportunities and more equal partnerships with men. What roadblocks do Singapore women face at the workplace? Who is placing them? How should Singapore men navigate this new world where she equals he, at times, and at times not? To talk about this, I'm turning to Professor Chong Sing Hui, an Assistant Professor of Organisational Behaviour from Nanyang Technological University. We are also joined by Mr. To Keng Ho, a seasoned corporate executive, a part-time lecturer, a Singapore Computer Society volunteer, and most pertinently, a man. Welcome to the show, Singhui. Hi, good afternoon, Chris and King Ho. I'm happy to be here with you both. Happy to have you too. I'm very glad to have you on the show too, King Ho. Hi, good afternoon. We are so happy to be able to join everyone here today. I have to tell you that you are a very brave man to be on this podcast because I was turned down by about a dozen men. When they knew about the topic, they kind of back out. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Singhui, may I start the podcast with you? Well, the white paper touched on many areas of women's development. So they range from gender stereotypes in society to lopsided caregiving duties at home. But I want to talk about the workplace. How would you describe the challenges Singapore women face at work today? I believe we're all very aware that gender stereotypes exist in the workplace. So for example, um, research has robustly shown that people, and this is regardless of their nationalities or genders, typically and inherently view males as more appropriate figures as leaders in the workplace. For example, if um, we might just naturally and explicably gravitate towards a male candidate more than a female candidate when we are trying to vote for a leader. So such stereotypes typically make it more difficult for women to reach senior leadership positions in the workplace as compared to men. Another challenge that women face in the workplace is a bit more unique and more contemporary to the Singapore context. That is, uh, many young women in their 30s and 40s might actually experience very much tension when it comes to managing their work and personal demands due to changing gender models. So for married women, right, they might find it very difficult to balance their work and personal identities. So those who prefer being a career woman risk being called a negligent or absent mom or wife, while women who prefer devoting themselves more to their family may risk being judged as unambitious or wasting their education and more negative evaluation than their male unmarried counterparts. And also, statistics have shown that single women tend to bear greater responsibilities um, of caring for their aging parents um, as compared to their married siblings. And that is based on like Singapore statistics as well. So these family demands can make it more difficult for them to commit their 100% to work. Finally, I think Singapore is currently at a transitory period with regard to gender equality. So both genders are still navigating and trying to figure out what gender norms would work best. This whole giving women attention thing is something that many Singaporeans are not used to and women to engage in open conversations about their roles and opportunities in the workplace because both genders do not want to risk appearing to be um, sexist if they are like being forthright with their opinions and so on. 
You know, in the points that you raised, a lot of it was wrapped around what we call gender stereotyping. Mm -hmm. You know, the perception of what a woman should be, how a woman should behave. But, you know, in my conversations with men and women, Mm -hmm. something very interesting came up. So we discussed successful women who have reached the summit and then they pull up the ladder after them. So you gave me a very interesting name for it. So could you tell us more and why do such women exist? Yes, sure. So this is actually called the queen bee phenomenon in the field of psychology. So queen bees refer to successful career women who oppose policies that support the advancement of junior women. And this emerges when successful women believe that they have made immense um, self-sacrifices to attain their current career achievements. So they view themselves as being more hardworking and more committed than other junior women. They believe that junior women ought to be put through the same trials and tribulations to achieve success. Otherwise, they wouldn't be um, up to standard as compared to them. Or they might also believe that, oh, if I succeeded in the past, then it is possible for other junior women to succeed now. So why should I give them special help? They should just go through the same things that I did. So um, one more thing is that Queen Bees might also worry that new gender equality policies would make it easier for junior women, thus making people overlook or forget their past personal sacrifices to get to where they are. And over time, because they want to protect their exclusivity and um, people's impression of the hard work that they have put in to achieve um, their current achievements, they might actually show a tendency to propagate um, masculinity in the workplace that makes it more difficult for junior women to succeed in order to maintain their exclusivity as the queen bees. You know, if a junior woman comes to you to advise, you know, on how she should work her way up, what would you tell her? I think there are two parts to this question. So for one, how should a junior woman manage her career and development and advancement in general? Junior women working up, they need to first focus on their internal state by being clear about their life priorities and regularly going back to recalibrate these priorities, what matter most to them. And um, they shouldn't be doing this alone, but they should instead engage like various parties such as their spouses, their parents, their friends, their children, even their colleagues and bosses in helping them formulate like um, their values and priorities in life. So this is that in the event when they come to a crossroads requiring them to make um, compromises between their work and personal lives, these values and priorities will be very important in helping to guide them make decisions held by people in the workplace. This knowledge would help them be more aware of how people view certain actions of theirs and how people view certain of their decisions. This will help them craft their communication and behaviours accordingly to explain to people their rationales for doing certain things. It mean like being more open and forthright about your priorities and also being more explicit in noting your work achievements to your bosses so that your bosses will have a clear documentation of your productivity and would allow them to evaluate your performance more accurately at the end of a performance review and prevent subconscious um, gender biases or stereotypes from skewing their evaluation. So going to the second part of the question, like what if they encounter a queen bee as a boss? Okay, I need to preface this by saying that not all successful um, women, senior women, are queen bees. So in the event when they encounter queen bees as bosses, I would say uh, try to manage your emotions and keep in mind that some senior women become queen bees because they've gone through a really hard time to get to where they are. It is not as if like they're born to be queen bees. So when you're encountering or um, interacting with a queen bee, appeal to their empathy and expertise. And we can do so by acknowledging their achievements, get to know them on a more personal level to understand what they have overcome to get to where they are. Try to engage them in conversations and ask them whether there are certain things that they wish 
would be different during their times that could be have been helpful for their advancement. Doing so would remind them of the structural difficulties that they had to overcome to get to where they are and make them recognize that the system is flawed and there are certain things that we can do to overcome these flaws in the system. So if they share that, oh yeah, oh, I wish that things were like this or like that in the past, then put the idea into their head that, hey, now that you're at a certain level in your career, you can be a champion to help us overcome these challenges that made it more difficult for you in the past. So by doing so, right, you're actually acknowledging their achievements and you're trying to push them to become champions of like gender equality rather than make them feel threatened. And what if you were a man mm. reporting to a queen bee? Mm. Do you adopt the same strategy? Mm. I would say that if I were a man reporting to a queen bee, wow, that's a, okay, let me do some perspective taking. I think it is still very important to acknowledge like the, the whole empathy part would be similar, I think. Like the different part would be like if you were a man, there would be another level of consideration. So now, like for example, are you going to talk to a queen bee about your own career advancement? Or are you actually talking to a queen bee about like career advancements of both males and females in your workplace or not? So if you are just talking to a queen bee as a male, I believe that the most important thing would be acknowledging their achievements. And letting them understand that it wasn't easy for them, if let's say they're in a male-dominated industry, to actually um, excel in that industry. But the thing is, there's a very fine balance about accentuating their gender identity too much. Because the thing about Queen Bee is that they believe that they are equal as like a lot of like successful males in male-dominated industry. So if you keep emphasizing their identity as a female, they might actually feel like, oh, where are you? talking about my identity. I don't even want to bring that in at all. So I would say approach this very slowly if you really want to discuss about gender issues with your Queen Bee boss. Happy being a man now? Yes, yes, quite. Uh, always quite happy even though Still. we have to do NS. <laughs> you know, just listening to Trick Sinhui seems like a minefield for men, right? Yes, yes. And you have both very broad and wide experience in your career. So tell us what you do and how are women present in the fields that you have worked in? Uh, I'm a volunteer with the Singapore Computer Society, so I spend uh, some time you know, working in the space around technology. Currently, I'm in the Singapore company in the ICT space. I would love to say that there's no difference in terms of your gender when it comes to the, the industry. The truth is it is not. Yeah. So even more so, I think decades ago, earlier on, uh, tech wasn't fashionable in the days when I was in school. You know, people associate computer guys as the IT support. You know, that's about it. That's it. You know, not exciting. You're not bringing in the big bucks. And then the dot-com bubble burst and, and it sort of accentuate the whole stereotype. Yeah. And uh, a lot of women in the space were only seen in marketing roles. You know, there were so-called smart leaders who, who employ. You talk about, you know, how in the early years, women tend to be in the marketing sphere of the industry compared to now, you know, where they are doing uh, the tech bits in which they have been proven to excel in, in schools and so on. Yes. Why was that so? Was it because bosses thought, you know, you need a pretty woman to sell tech? I'm sure in the early days, that was the concept. I think even with uh, some of the vendors, I think they are uh, very common in, in the past in pharmaceutical space as well, you know, where you position women to sell the drugs better to, to, to the doctors. Of course, my doctor friends will start killing me for saying that, uh, but the, the, some leaders felt that, you know, there was just one way to, to do that. And uh, I think that view has changed quite a lot and uh, nowadays when we talk about technology and we talk about you know interacting with the clients and all that a lot of times we were 
looking a lot you know on how the solution is and uh, and how the engagement and the sharing of the technology and a lot of uh, ladies have proven themselves not just in school but also in real life that they can be very good in, in the space of technology so uh, within the committee in the Singapore Computer Society where I lead I have a lot of the ladies who are leading you know working in startups uh, leading quantum computing some of them building use cases for more uh, AI artificial intelligence uh, applications they definitely have come a long way to to develop that skill and I, I think it's it's high time that we you know fully embrace and acknowledge that they can do the job equally well instead of just being a beautiful face to sell or to market the, the company's product. Do men in general find it very challenging to navigate the new status of women or the new gender consciousness of women in the tech industry? Uh, I would say definitely there are. Uh, one of it, of course, is a lot of uh, also fear that you know, I have to fight with all these men, now I have to fight with all these men and women. So, so that, that fear of the competition and all that is there. I do sense that there were some that were definitely still a little bit apprehensive. They still find that you know the, the ladies may be uh, able to be conversant in the in the in the technology, but they may not do as well as another guy, or you know they tend to have family problems all the time as compared to the guy who's putting one hundred and ten percent of his time into the work. So there's still some of this stereotype, but they are not openly you know. Shared, but we, we, you can sometimes get that kind of vibes from some of the colleagues as well. Yeah. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to my conversation with Singhui and Keng Ho. So, these colleagues who have these vibes, do you think they'll be converted? inevitably or how would they deal with this right now i see that the the entire i wouldn't say society but the entire environment the greater environment seems to be more supportive more embracing even if they they still hold a very strong view they start to let go a little bit they start to say okay you know if i become too upfront or too strict not just the party that I'm targeting, you know, other people around me may start to feel that I'm, I'm being uh, unfair or I'm being unreasonable. Yeah. So I think that kind of pressure sort of helped to firstly cover the issues, but I think it also helps them to understand and, and we hope that at some point they will be a, a full convert and they start to embrace the, that diversity much better. We tend to get very high level comments, you know, or as you know, you said, you told me earlier, motherhood comments from men when we come to discussing policies or you know movements of women, uh, interests. Uh, I'm interested to hear how adjustments affect men at the more personal level. Mm-hmm. So when I speak to male friends, they tell me, you know, number one, I'm an apex male. I lose whether it's you know race or uh, disability or gender. I'm always at the losing end, and I'm not allowed to speak up. Number two. I really am not interested in battling it out with women. I want to battle with men, not women. You know, I feel very kind of uh, maligned in, in saying that I bully women when actually I, I, I'm all for it, I'm supportive, but then I'm always at the losing end, so I just shut up. I want to hear from a personal level, you know, mm. your, from yourself, how do you feel about all this new consciousness, work consciousness, gender consciousness that you have to navigate now? For, for me, I think the, the biggest change is uh, probably when I was a little bit younger, you know, when, when things were a bit different, 
no social media of course uh, and uh, I, I, I had the sense sometimes you know as a growing up uh, growing up immature youth that sometimes uh, gender issues seems to be a zero-sum game you will only win if I lose or, or I will win and you will have to lose so it becomes a, a, a struggle you know I still remember in school some of the girls you know will, will want to stand up to to some comments that the boys will make and, and, and you know there will be some friction and some conflict that will happen but however now I, I find that uh, we, we, we sort of have come to a, a, a much better consensus and I also feel it that uh, that way that we not only have more consciousness around helping women but also helping disadvantaged group and that's how I feel the change have uh, Differ. And also being a, being a parent, I, I, I realized that, you know, we, we no longer uh, force my wife into a certain mode. Uh, you, you compare it sometimes with my in-laws and my parents. You can see very clearly the roles at home, you know, no matter how busy. Sometimes I, I seldom see my father uh, washing the clothes. Likewise, I, I seldom see my father-in-law, you know, does certain things because the, the roles were predominantly there. And I realized that at our generation, it, it tends to be less of that. Both parties are equally happy, you know, uh, looking after the kids and, and building that intimacy with the kids as compared to my father, which I felt a bit more distance as compared to my mom. So I, I can see that development at the personal level and I'm quite happy to see that change. Uh, in the past, the guys would think that, you know, or the men would think that this way of doing is acceptable. But actually, now on high side, you realize that some of the ways that were deemed acceptable are actually not. And we really have to be more sensitive. And one point that I wanted to make is to help is sometimes tell the guys or tell the men that, you know, whatever you have been doing is actually quite sexist in a way or is a little bit condescending. And, and I think sometimes they d didn't realize that they were doing that or they didn't realize that they were, they were you know, into that. And, and actually, by sharing with them up front, they, they may, may be uh, able to change. We are just, the men sometimes can just be so insensitive because it is not in our... DNA to be very uh, feely <laughs> sometimes and, and we lose track of that yeah. well, so at work you work with you know a la lady above a lady below you come home there's a lady at home you know <laughs> and I saw that your son come into the room yes do you at times hope wish that more can be done for a certain thing or something can be told to women you know to understand certain things that will make your life easier and maybe the environment easier for your son 10 years down the road what more can be done sometimes it's good to be a little bit more straightforward with the guy that you know you don't understand what he's saying for my son definitely what we wanted to share with him to inculcate him is really that the the gender is but just one aspect of a difference between another individual and then and that he, he should not you know take that into to consideration when he interacts with uh, other people. I think he's he's having some trouble as a boy would with the girls in the class, you know, they were conflict, you know, sometimes they, they tease each other, play with each other. But that's just part of the his growing up so, and, and I hope, you know, he will get get past that at some point, yeah, when he's a little bit older. Yeah. So you're hoping that women will be just be more straightforward and tell you what they think and what they want, right? And having you to guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Singhui, yes. what do you what do you say to that? <laughs> okay, so I love looking at comments like on Straits Times and on news media and so on. So a lot of comments and typically coming from men will say something like, "Oh, these days people are so sensitive; they cannot take any jokes anymore." And like it's just a joke. Why are they like being so um uptight over it and so on? So I would say that 
I think there needs to be more to actually like facilitate some kind of deeper mindset change so that people feel like, oh, you know, sharing comments are not attacking you and it's not a war between the genders. I don't have a good solution on how this platform can be established, but it is something that all of us have to work towards in like making it easier for both um genders to actually communicate their expectations or like areas where they're uncomfortable with, with each other. How do we allow a, an outlet that is safe, a safe environment where people can can uh, comment, can talk about gender issues, gender inequality, and uh, be able to understand and, and, and hear from another person, you know, the diff- different perspective without being flamed or being uh, vilified. For now, I would say that all these issues are being touched on in our curriculum, but there's not enough discourse, like there's not enough like mm. discussion about like, different opinions about it. People don't have an opportunity to ask maybe some questions that they have. So they have very little knowledge of how to phrase these questions. And in future, when they're actually going out to the workplace and so on, and if such conversations are required, they actually have no prior experience of how they can um, communicate and frame their content in an appropriate manner to people of like different gender and so on. In Singapore, whenever it comes to a gender discussion, people will say, you know, it will be the same. That, okay, no, women must go to NS2. You know, that kind of uh, statement, you know, uh, it's a very immature remark. But uh, reflecting back, I really like the idea that we should recognize the differences that each gender have and make sure the playing field is level for each, but rather than trying to use that difference to, to disadvantage the other group. So for example, I would say that uh, childbirth, because childbirth takes us a lot of time from, from the ladies and it's not something that I can do. Yeah, and and I'm happy that you know my, my wife is, is willing to do that, and uh, I think more mechanisms need to be there to help them, you know, in terms of transiting and not disadvantaging them at work. I think what Xinhui said about us being at a very pivotal time, you know, is absolutely right. Uh, we're not just seeing a rise in the consciousness, but we're also seeing a rise in the change in the generation perception of gender differences. So during my mother's time or my time, for example, a woman asking a man, how do I look? It's a very scary question for the man, right? Because you can't get it right. But I think when a young woman asks, how do I look today? She expects a very different answer or, or she has very different expectations of what the answer to be. So the women are changing, you know, the way they see things. And, and I think men are finding very difficult to navigate. So to King Ho's point about be straightforward, I think that works. Women need to, you know, be forward about what they want and make it easier for the guys as well. Or the guys need to be more receptive. It's kind of meet in the middle. Right. Um, it's an interesting thing. We have a, always an ask expert time in, in work talk. So, Keng Ho, you know, what question do you have for Singhui? Yes. Yeah, Singhui, not, not to put you in the spot, but I just wanted to, you know, I read your article on the Straits Times and uh, I think one of the areas that I, I was quite concerned with is if we move towards a quota-based uh, gender policy. So I wanted to hear from you how we can you know, develop steps to address gender equality without, you know, resorting to such affirmative actions? Okay, I would say that as a psychologist in training, I always believe that a lot of things lie in, like, deep mindset change. Back to one of the points that you shared earlier in this conversation, right? You were sharing about, like, how when you were younger, you used to see this thing as a zero-sum game. Like, if um, one thing is good for them, it's bad for me, and so on. So it's very important for Singapore government to frame this whole gender equality thing as mutually beneficial for both genders rather than frame it as a pro-women kind of movement. So for males of our dad's generation, even if they really want to be present for their kids and they want to be like very loving father, 
the gender norms and gender roles and stereotypes would forbid them from doing so. Like they would just have to put on a stern face. They have to be the one bringing home the bread and so on. But now, because of gender equality and some of those like parental leaves and so on, which are also entitled to the males, um, males might find it more acceptable for them to actually embrace the kind of roles that they want to play in their family lives. So for one of it would be, um, it's important for the government to make sure that both genders recognize that this movement is towards gender equality rather than just a pro-woman and then um, against men kind of movement. It's important not to tie them arbitrarily to gender. If you think about the gender-based affirmative action, it means that if two candidates possess supposedly equal credentials, then the position will go to the minority. So in this case, women rather than men. Affirmative actions are actually targeting like things that are more going backwards in history where women might encounter more difficulties succeeding. So by having that gender-based or racial-based um, policy, they're actually proactively correcting the systematic differences that women might face in the structure. But when people don't understand this, they will misunderstand the whole rationale. So that rationale has to be communicated very clearly to people if the government ever wants to like impose like on racial-based kind of policies. But another way would be not to tie the policies to the gender, but tying the policies to actually factors that are making it difficult for each person to succeed the white paper they have highlighted certain difficulties that women face in succeeding for example um, lopsided caregiving responsibilities but there are a lot of men who also have equal heavy caregiving responsibilities due to their personal family circumstances and so on so these men might feel like oh i'm a chinese male in singapore so obviously all these pro-gender equality policies wouldn't benefit me at all and they will feel like they are being left behind by all these policies so it's important for these policies to actually tie whatever benefits there are to the difficult factors. Like, for example, the amount of caregiving responsibility that an individual has rather than to the gender. In such case, a male who has very high caregiving responsibilities might be entitled to the same um, leave entitlement as a female who has an equal amount of like caregiving responsibilities. I think we have a, a long way to go, but we're making a head start, you know, in in in, in promoting gender equality. Yes. And King Ho, you know, do you have anything to add? Uh, my advice to to, to the men is uh, don't don't treat the the women as as your rival or your competitor, but treat them as your partners or friends uh, along the, this long life of uh, work, play, and and whatever. And I, I think uh, you'll be much happier. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Sing Hui, what about you? Uh, similar to King Ho, I think COVID has revolutionized like how people think about their work identity and their personal identity for both genders because now a lot of males have had the opportunity to spend more time at home with their family or just by themselves as well and so on. So they might have shifting life priorities already. So I think the next decade or so would be a good mm. time frame for both genders to actually rethink about like they, their values and their roles in this society so that we can achieve this gender equality that would be mutually beneficial to both um, genders. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure having you two today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I'm Chris Wu, and I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Work Talk, a podcast by The Straits Times. If you'd like to read the stories online or in print, they appear under the series Work Life, and there's a link in our podcast text description below. Have a good work week. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. 
Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.